and welcome to Twigged, a light-hearted plant-based podcast exploring the vegetal roots of history and folklore, what'll kill you and what makes a decent snack. I'm Alex. I'm the person who you might have seen around lately jumping out of a bush with lots of foraged greens in their hand. I'm Alice. I love creating recipes with plants and I've been loving learning so much about the plants we've looked into so far. This week, as our guest of honour, we've got the lowly but delightful dandelion. Is it a dandelion or a dandelion? I thought it was a dandelion. (laughs) Oh, I've been saying dandelion. Wait, have I been saying it wrong? There I was last time worrying about myrtle and it turns out that we don't know how to say dandelion. (laughs) Do you know the Latin name for the dandelion? It is Taraxacum. Yeah, so Taraxacum and I think mostly we're going to be talking about Taraxacum officinale, which is the common dandelion. So there's some debate over where the word Taraxacum comes from. It's either from the Arabic word Taraxarkon, which means bitter herb, or from the Greek taraxo, which is disturbance or disorder, and akos, which means remedy. So a remedy for a disorder. So we've seen officinale before with the rosemary, and I hadn't thought to look it up before because I just thought it sort of meant official. But I looked it up, and it means that it's related to offices or shops and then later pharmacies. So plants with this in their name tend to have been things that were used quite specifically by people. Oh, I see. uh, In some capacity, often pharmaceutically. Oh, that's really useful to know. Because I thought it was just like, like, you know, common myrtle, official myrtle, official dandelion. That's exactly what I thought, yeah. Yeah, just like another way of saying standard. Yeah, yeah, and the... The common name, dandelion, comes from the French dent de lion, so lion's tooth, which is because of the pointy, grooved edges on the leaves. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Do you know what the word is for it in French now? What? Pissenlit, which means piss the bed. Oh, <laughs> okay. It's got some similar names in English as well. Apparently piss a bed was another word for it. Uh, and also wet a bed. I saw that it was also called puffball and blowball, but they sound like they're just made up. No, um, those are definitely names for them. And I think those are, it's funny, some of the names are specifically linked to different stages of its life cycle. So yeah. puffball and blowball kind of uh, have to do to when it changes from the bright yellow flower to the white puffy seed head. And then I've got cankerwort and priest's crown, but I'm not sure what they're to do with. Priest's crown, and I also saw it could be called monk's head. So the best description that I had of that is that when you've got the seed head on it and you blow the seeds off, as people tend to do, and we can talk about that a bit more later, you get sort of just like an empty, pale center of the flower left. Yeah. And that looks a little bit like, you know, the tonsure on on the top of medieval monks and priests' heads? Yeah. Yeah, when they used to, like, shave a part of of their hair off. Yeah. I liked that explanation. Whether or not it's true is somewhat immaterial. Yeah. I also saw that it can be called swine's snout. And that's because, so the flower is open during the day, and then it closes up at night and during wet weather. And when it closes, it has a little bit of, like, a snoutish shape to it. Oh, yeah. And the, the little bit on the end, I can't remember what it's called, is like a 
a little sort of round, squidgy, like end of a snout shape. Mm, yeah, exactly. So I can totally picture that. And also the fact that it opens and closes according to the time of day and according to the weather has also given it the names Shepherd's Clock and Fairy Clock. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I like Fairy Clock. That We're, we're into the fairies, aren't we? We are into the fairies <laughs> here. <laughs> and away with them. <laughs> <laughs> So I saw a really nice little thing about how the dandelion represents the sun, moon and stars. While we're talking about them sort of opening up in the daylight and closing up at night. So they also are meant to represent the sun when they're in bright yellow full bloom. And then the moon when there's like the sort of puffball of seeds. And then the dispersing seeds is meant to represent the sky full of stars. Beautiful. I like that a lot. Isn't it lovely? Should we do a little physical description to let people know what we're talking about? Yes. Great. So as we've been saying, the the flowers are at the very beginning, they're bushy yellow flower heads that are about two and a half to five centimeters across. And those flower heads are actually made up of lots and lots of tiny little flowers or florets. Yeah, that's really cool. I had no idea. And also, I can't see it. Yeah, I thought it was just layers and layers of tiny little thin petals. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And then those yellow flowers become the round, whitish, silver tufted seed heads that we that we all know from childhood. And those are called clocks. I actually saw a really cool time lapse of a dandelion going from big yellow bloom to clock um that was really cool so if you want to watch that you should look up dandelion time lapse on youtube oh that's awesome i'm gonna look that up yeah it's really nice so it has hairless leaves that grow 5 to 25 centimeters long in rosettes and these leaves are deeply grooved and jagged along the sides. Uh, they're often green and sometimes have a slight purplish tint to them. It also contains a milky sap and it has a brown tap root as opposed to fibrous roots. So tap roots are straightish and thick, sort of like a carrot. And that's part of why it's really difficult to get rid of in gardens because it's a very, very deep root. And apparently in China, dandelions are called earth nails because of the depth and shape of the root. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And such a good comparison that they're like a carrot. They go so far down into the earth. Yeah. I I mean, they're much thinner than a carrot, but they're kind of that, that vibe. <laughs> yeah, you can picture them. Yeah. So I've read that they are super adaptable to different climates. And the seeds can survive a really long time before finding some new earth in which to germinate. So I think they can grow what in most climates, like all over Asia, all over Europe. Yeah, they're native to Europe and Asia, but they've also spread and naturalized in North America, Southern Africa, South America, New Zealand and Australia. And Oh, wow. Oh, they'll go. They'll go anywhere. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, they're they're good. They're good at thriving. And so, Atlas, tell me, can you eat it? Yes. Um, in fact, you can eat every single part of it. The roots, the flower, the leaves. You need to be careful that they haven't been sprayed with any pesticides because people tend to view them as a 
annoying weed that's hard to get rid of. Yeah, I remember growing up thinking that dandelions were the absolute enemy. Uh, yeah. In sort of the suburban neighborhood that I lived in, everyone was out on their hands and knees trying to get rid of the dandelions. Yeah, I remember picking the the dandelion clocks and blowing them and then being told off and told not to do that because I would spread the seeds all over the lawn and then there would be dandelions everywhere like it was a terrible thing but actually they're so nutritious and so good to eat so I think I think dandelion's reputation is um, turning around a little bit. Yeah, in terms of all-purpose, it's not like those pesky potatoes where you can only eat the tubers and you can't eat the rest of the plant. (laughs) Sorry, Alice. Um, It's, you know, so the flowers, you can make salads, dandelion syrup, honey, wine. You can infuse it in alcohol to make a liqueur. You can make capers from the flower buds before they pop. You can fry them in butter. Apparently, it's best to collect the flowers in the morning on a sunny day when they're nice and big and open. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the leaves you can have in sandwiches and salads. They can be eaten raw or lightly cooked. They are quite bitter. You can also make the leaves into tea, which I've seen described as healthful. So that makes me think it might not be delicious. But there you go. (laughs) And did you see about the practice of forcing dandelions? No. In order to make the leaves less bitter, if you've got a dandelion plant in your garden, at the very beginning of spring when it's starting to grow, you can put a bucket or pot over it so that no light reaches it and leave it on for about three weeks. And then when you remove the bucket or the pot, the leaves will be longer and thinner and sweeter than they would have been otherwise. Oh, wow. Oh, I wonder if that works. Oh, we should try it. Yeah. We could make dandelion coffee as well. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, it's pretty straightforward. You just dry out the roots and then grind them up and put them in your cafetiere or whatever you use. Yeah, I saw that you, you dry them and then you bake them for a little bit until they get a bit smoky. Oh, nice. Um, I also really like the idea of making dandelion wine. Um, I would really like to try it. Probably before I commit to a two-year fermentation process, I would like, like to taste someone else's dandelion wine. And if it's delicious, then I will definitely make some and put it away for two years. Amazing. If anyone here has made dandelion wine at some point, let us know. And once we're allowed to meet up with you, can we come drink your wine? <laughs> um, there's also the drink that I'd never heard of until I moved to the UK, which is dandelion and burdock. Oh, yes. Yeah. And for my compatriots who are not from the British Isles. It's a popular soft drink and it's actually been a popular beverage since the medieval period but it was originally a type of mead made from the roots of dandelion and burdock and yeah it's kind of evolved into a sweet soft drink. So I saw that you can make a really nice dandelion pesto and I think all of the flavours from the like garlic and lemon and olive oil will cut through the bitterness. I'll have a go. I'll let you know. Let me know how it goes. I came across this quote a couple of times while reading about dandelions because people have, until very recently, seen them as a really annoying weed. And it's by Ralph Waldo Emerson. What is a weed? A plant whose virtues have not yet been discovered. And that seems to apply really perfectly to dandelions because they're so nutritious that now we know their virtues, we really want to eat them. I love that. 
Apparently they are nutritiously more dense than other leafy greens. They're full of vitamins and antioxidants. They're rich in potassium, a really good source of vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin K. And a half a cup of dandelion greens has more calcium than a glass of milk. Really? It's a it's a fantastic food. So I saw that historically... Uh, so wait, so these are the historical uses. So the sap was said to treat warts. It was used in China to purify the blood and boost the immune system. Arabic doctors recommended it to treat liver and kidney problems. Ancient Greek doctors, including Pliny, thought it would cure liver and bile-related ailments. In North America, the Ojibwe people made a dandelion tea to treat heartburn, and European monks planted them in their medicine gardens. And so verifiably, in terms of modern medicine, it is a great source of vitamins and nutrients. And the other thing is that it's a mild diuretic, which can be really helpful if you kind of want to pee a lot. <laughs> There are things Want that to, make, need to. there are things that like making yourself pee a lot is good for, and I don't know them off the top of my head, but it is something that people sometimes want. <laughs> so, in terms of other uses, I've got one really cool one. During World War II, there was a rubber shortage, and the Soviet Union began making tires from the more rare Taraxacum coxagis dandelion or the Russian dandelion. It's not the officinalis, but uh, a cousin of it. It's got high quality latex in, in its roots, which can be converted into a kind of rubber adjacent thing. And they made tires for vehicles out of rubber found in the dandelion roots. I had no idea that it would be like such a sturdy kind of material. Yeah. And the US and Germany were also experimenting with making dandelion rubber at the time. And so that was during the Second World War, and then it was pretty much abandoned after that. But recently, they've kind of gone back to experimenting with that and moving toward making it as a potentially more eco-friendly type of tire. That's really cool. Isn't it awesome? When the dandelions turn to seed and they have the really awesome puffball heads... It's sort of a tradition that children will pick them and then make a wish and then blow the seeds. I don't know if it was the same for everyone, but when I was a kid, you had to make a wish and then in one breath blow all the seeds off the dandelion. And if any remained, then your wish wouldn't come true. Also, it is thought that when you blow the seeds, they will travel on the air and carry your thoughts to loved ones, which I thought was a really nice idea. That's quite beautiful. Yeah. Did you see that there are tons of variations on the game that I'd never heard of? No. There was one which is that if you think of someone that you love while blowing the seeds off, if they all scatter in the first go, that person loves you back. But if some of them oh, cling yeah. on, they probably don't. Okay. And there's another one that says that when you're blowing the seeds off the clock, the number of seeds left clinging to it indicates the number of children you'll have. Okay. But then for a darker twist, it can also be the number of years you have left to live. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Which actually, okay, so it makes sense if you're a child and you don't have that much breath, there are probably going to be lots left and you have many years left. And then as you grow up, your breath gets better. But then you get old and your breath kind of declines. And I'm sure you can't blow that many off. Maybe then it's months. Hi, <laughs> 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 awful. Weeks, days. Yeah, that got really dark. You know, don't take the dandelion theories too seriously. That's what I would take from this. 
And um, apparently dandelions symbolise happiness, joy, youthful thoughts, health, endurance and determination. And um, I saw somewhere else that they symbolise the warmth and power of the rising sun. They do look like tiny suns. Yeah, and then the way they open with the sun at the start of each day is quite nice. Did you see that it features in the language of flowers? Oh no, I missed that. It symbolises love, faithfulness and happiness. Oh, very good. Did you see the one about holding a dandelion under a child's chin? Yes, but I thought that they were getting mixed up between dandelions and buttercups because I thought it was a buttercup that you held under someone's chin and then if their chin glows yellow then they like butter (laughs) that's what we always did we always like me and my brother and sister used to run around holding buttercups under each other's chin saying you like butter you like butter (laughs) what's the point of that though everyone likes butter yeah there is no point it's (laughs) that's what you do when you live in the countryside and you don't have an xbox (laughs) did you not do that (laughs) is it only me oh so the one that I'd written down was about uh, in medieval times, you'd hold a dandelion flower under a child's chin and if it cast a golden glow, they'd grow up to be rich. Oh, sure. Okay. I think is a lot more worthy of divination than whether or not someone likes butter. I mean, that's a matter of opinion, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a kid when my brother and sister weren't around to play with, I would put the buttercups under my cat's chin and be like, you like butter. <laughs> um. There was another one about children. So in early spring, the tallest dandelion a child can find in a field indicates how much they'd grow by that year. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's a lot about children and dandelions, and I guess it's a, a cheap way to keep your brood entertained. Yeah, the, the person who made all this up was clearly just a really exasperated parent. Like, just <laughs> give me a minute, for God's sake. So this story is the Ojibwe legend of the dandelion and the south wind. So the south wind was a bit more gentle and shy than his siblings, the north, east and west winds. And one day in spring, he saw a beautiful young woman across the meadow and she wore this green dress or cloak and had this amazing bright yellow blonde hair. And he wanted to go and talk to her, but he was too shy. So he just sort of admired her from a distance and thought maybe maybe tomorrow I'll go and introduce myself. So for several days he noticed her across the meadow but he always kept his distance thinking oh you know one day I'll have the confidence to go over and say hi and he promised himself okay tomorrow will be the day that I go and say hello to this beautiful woman. But the next day when he saw her she had put the hood of her green cloak um, up over her head And it was still a beautiful, bright spring day. So he thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe something's wrong. Maybe she's sad. Today isn't the day to go and talk to her after all. I'll wait until tomorrow. But the following day, he saw that instead of having this amazing big head of bright yellow hair, she had white grey hair and it looked like all of a sudden overnight she'd grown old. Um, So he was so curious that he finally approached her and as he did, she flew away and disappeared and it turned out that the south wind had fallen in love with a dandelion. That's gorgeous, I love it. 
did you see anything about the associations of St. Bridget with the dandelion? No. So St. Bridget, who is sort of the Christian adaptation of the goddess Bridget, is associated with a festival of Imbolc, which is midway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. And Imbolc marks the return of light and fertility after the long winter. And dandelions are meant to be Bridget's candles. So they're lighting her way from winter to spring, from dark to light. Uh, And there's a lovely little poem by the Irish poet Winifred Mabel Letts called St. Bridget. And it goes like this. The dandelion lights its spark, lest Bridget find the wayside dark. And brother wind comes rollicking for joy that she has brought the spring. Young lambs and little furry folk seek shelter underneath her cloak. That's it. Oh, I love that. That's cute. I love the little furry folk as well. It just could be any kind of creature. (laughs) So I have one last story, which has a tenuous link to the dandelion. And so blink and you'll miss the mention, but but do be aware (laughs) that it has a link. And that's why I've shoved it in here. Excellent. And if it's Greek mythology, then I'm here for the Greek mythology, no matter what the link. I am (laughs) glad you said that. Uh, Let's talk about the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. So the Minotaur was born to Pasiphae, who was the wife of Minos, the king of Crete. He was conceived when she had sex with a bull that was sent to them by Poseidon to sacrifice. So the Minotaur was born and he was half man, half bull. And there are variations according to which legend of which half is which. Okay. The image we tend to have is that his body is a man and his top half is a bull. But there have been versions where the inverse is true. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely picture something like standing up on two legs with bull's head and horns. Yeah, there's a statue, like an ancient statue of the other way around with the torso and head of a man and the legs of a bull. And he's a lot less intimidating like that. Yeah, a lot less scary. But like, oh, Steve, why do you have bull's <laughs> yeah. instead of instead of horns? Which is the scary part of a bull is like the horns yeah. and the gouging. Yeah, for sure. So for the sake of kind of the ferocious imagery, let's say he's man on the bottom and bull on top. Yeah. Right. So Minos was both embarrassed by his illegitimate beast child and also it was a super dangerous beast child. So he had a labyrinth made at the palace of Knossos to house it. This was all fine, apart from the fact that the Minotaur had to eat human flesh, until Minos's son Androgeos was killed by the Athenians. So, when Androgeos is killed, Minos prays to Zeus for the Athenians to be punished, so they were struck by a pestilence until they agreed to a punishment set by Minos. So Minos, wanting to inflict maximum harm, ordered them to send seven young men and seven young women of Athens every either year or seven years or nine years, depending on what you read, as tributes to be fed to the Minotaur. So Theseus, who's the son of the king of Athens, volunteered to go in the third set of tributes. He was determined to kill the Minotaur and put an end to all this slaughter. And it's said that the goddess Hecate had Theseus eat dandelions for 30 days before he had to enter the labyrinth in order to gain strength to defeat the Minotaur. 
Oh, wow. So dandelion is to Theseus as spinach is to Popeye. And Theseus gets really strong and he's ready to go and kill the Minotaur. But he's warned that even if he does manage to kill the Minotaur, he might never be able to find his way back out of the labyrinth. Then he meets Ariadne, who's the daughter of Minos and Pasiphae. And she takes pity on him and gives him a spool of thread so that he can unwind it as he enters the labyrinth and follow it back out once he's killed the Minotaur. On the day that he's meant to enter the labyrinth, he has his final meal of dandelions and enters. And as he goes in, he's unspooling the thread. And then eventually he makes it to the Minotaur. They have a vicious, bloody battle, and he slays the Minotaur. And after all this violence, he's scared that the thread might have snapped. But it's held strong throughout the fight, and he's able to follow it back out again to freedom. And then a bunch of other stuff happens, but I think if we go too far into that, we're going to stray really far away from the whole dandelions gave him strength thing. So let's leave it there. Okay. I love that story. That's like my favorite story from Greek myths and legends. Is it? Yeah. So that's, that's dandelions for you. Awesome. The opposite of Myrtle. It's something that I feel like we're all so familiar with that we tend to ignore them. For sure, yeah. And there's such an abundance of them. And they're gorgeous. Lately, all the fields around me have been bright green with little pops of yellow all over the yeah. place. And it's got me really excited. Yeah, I really want to make some things with dandelion since doing some research for this episode. Definitely some dandelion pesto or maybe even dandelion blossom cookies, which I found a recipe for that look amazing. That sounds incredible. That's all for today. You can find us on Instagram at Twigged Podcast. If you would like to check out our website, it is twiggedpodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us, it's twiggedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to Twigged. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, I was really tempted to do dingly, 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 but then I do that every time. So I just thought I'd shut up instead. <laughs>